Fighters, the last foot soldiers of the Cold War. My name is Jason Dias. In the late 1980s, a group of young men who grew up without computers, cell phones, and social media will help end the Cold War. This is not based on a true story. This is a true story. All right. In June of 1973, a plumber's assistant from Sacramento, California, reported to Fort Polk, Louisiana, for basic training. His name? Dwight Elliott Stone. He is the last American to be drafted. Fast forward to the mid-1980s. Well, with the American economy recovering under Ronald Reagan and competition for young men and women who chose work life after high school could, in some cases, get better paying trade and factory jobs than they could in the military. So the Army had embarked on an ambitious media blitz and an ad campaign called Be All That You Can Be. I wonder how many of y'all were singing along to that opening jingle. I saw that commercial when I was still in high school, and I loved it. Not only was the Army offering you to get an edge on life in the Army, it was also offering in the 1980s the GI Bill and an Army college fund for those who were willing to put off college for two, three, or four years. Now, you have to be from our generation, Generation X, to recall that in the 1980s, there is no LinkedIn, there is no monster.com. There is no glassstore.com. You don't get job offers emailed to you 16,000 times a day. The way to prosperity, especially for me, the prosperity I had known as, as a child, and that great American contagion of doing better than your parents did, the way to prosperity and wealth in the 20th century is a chronology of high school graduation, go to college, meet a girl, graduate from college, get a job, get married, buy a house, and have 3.2 children, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and church on Sunday. Well, today you can do all those things, but today you can also just register a domain name and build a website, and boom, you're the president of a company. That's what I did. Well, for me, if high school in the mid-1980s was going to be a preview of college, I wanted none of it. I saw that ad that I played at the top of the show and thought that was the gig for me, doing more before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. I rode a motorcycle. I was a bit of a heck raiser. And so it appealed to me doing something adventurous and different. I wasn't like everybody else in my high school. I was the only person that rode a motorcycle at Judson High School, a school that had almost you know, 1,800 kids at it. So in the summer before my senior year, I actually tried to join the Army via what was called the DEP program, the Delayed Entry Program, and that was the summer before my senior year at Judson High School in 1984. However, there is one problem for me in this scenario. The summer before my senior year, I'm only 16 years old, and my parents give it a straight-up 
no-go. I cannot enlist without their permission, and their permission is not forthcoming. Well, I graduate in May of 1985. I'd love to know how many of y'all are high school graduates in 85 and work full-time at the mall. In high school, I had won state championships in speech, journalism, and district championships in chess. I score in the top 2% on those standardized intelligence tests you take. But in a class of 600 seniors, my class ranking is in the middle of the 500s. I am a C and D student on paper. Therefore, no scholarships. And by the way, as I said, I had no desire to go to college. Well, by January of 1986, I'm working at a place called Fox Photo. If you ever saw the movie Back to the Future, it is a Fox Photo kiosk that the Libyans crash into while they are chasing Marty McFly. And it serves those Libyans right for trying to shoot an RPG at a DeLorean. And if you're young and listening to this podcast because your parents or your grandparents were light fighters, it is important to remember, in 1986, you did not take pictures every day. You took pictures four or five times a year. School pictures, Christmas time, Easter, and vacation, and the occasional wedding. Well, if you wanted to see those pictures in about an hour, you could bring your 35-millimeter film or your 110 film or your 26-millimeter film to Fox Photo and get your pictures back in about an hour. Well, Fox Photo is one of those very jobs that the Army is competing against. And an E-1 can expect to make less than $600 during their first several months in the Army in 1986. So for me, that combined, the fact that I was making decent money at Fox Photo over $800 a month, combined with the fact that I had a pretty serious girlfriend at a very comfortable house, was still living at my parents' house, I'm planning on moving up the ranks at Fox Photo and then getting my own apartment. Something else young people from this generation may not know is there was a tremendous stigma of living at home with your parents after a certain age. But it was a real thing back in the day. You were expected to strike out on your own after high school or go off to college. And of course, where I grew up, there were a lot of people that were joining the military. Well, I made the decision to go to work at Fox Photo and had, you know, given, had abandoned my desire to join the Army as I had the year before in 1985. Well, two critical things happened that January. First is I'm working at Fox Photo. I work at the mall, not in the kiosk. I work inside the mall. And candidly, Fox Photo could have, could have done its business plan just on the people that were at the mall and the stores that were at the mall that would bring us their photos for development. One of those stores was a store called Montgomery Ward. They brought us a 35-millimeter roll of film to process. And in this roll of film were pictures of their employee of the month. Well, I was working fast one day in January and accidentally forgot to take out the 110 lens from the processor and process that roll of 35 millimeter film for Montgomery Ward using the 110 lens. Well, that doesn't ruin the film, but you have to do it over again. But when the pictures came out, what I didn't realize is that when you use a 110 lens on 35 millimeter camera, on 35 millimeter film, the pictures come out on the cardstock like a little picture roughly the size of a driver's license photo. Another significant change in 1986 was the Texas State Legislature has raised the drinking age 
from 19 to 21. I work at Fox Photo and have just accidentally learned how to make a driver's license sized photo. There is a lamination machine at Fox Photo and some old passports that people have left behind when they get new ones and new photos. Well, I think you know how this story goes. Yes, for about three weeks, I become the fake ID king of Northeast San Antonio. In those days, there are no barcodes, no microchips, or anything on a Texas driver's license. It is a piece of paper with a picture, and it's laminated. I was in business, and for three weeks, I am living the dream. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I remember walking out one night with over $800 cash in my pocket. I purchase a motorcycle. I buy an electric guitar, and in those days, I didn't even play the electric guitar. I'm buying things as fast as I'm making money, as any 18-year-old does, who is focused on the present and not the future. For three weeks, I'm telling you, throwing lavish, these lavish parties where you rent two or three rooms at a hotel and open up the doors and everybody shows up. I'm basically living a life that I could not have imagined just one month before. Well, you probably know how this story ends. I'm walking out to my motorcycle one night, and there are two men waiting for me by my motorcycle. My first thought is, they're not old, but they certainly look over 21. Well, they know my name, they call me by name, and then I get to know their names because I read them on their IDs and with their badges. I'm not under arrest. I'm not taken to the police station. They simply tell me that I'm going down a dangerous road of forgery. Forging, forging, you know, official government, state documents, not a good road to be on, and that they'll be watching me. Now, in 1986, there's no internet, no cell phone, or social media to track you. If you needed to leave some problems behind and get out of town, you could. Nine days later, I will report for basic training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Before I got to Fort Sill, I got to do the MEPS station in record time. Uh, you know, you go there with all the other civilians who are joining all the different armed forces. And it was there that I began to meet people and find out why other people were joining. It was a cliche in those days, you know, uh, join the army or go to jail. And here I was from a well-to-do family. I have, I have become that cliche. And so when people asked me why I was joining, I would lie and just say, you know, for the college money, for the adventure and stuff like that, all of which had been true in 1985. It is not why I was sitting at the MEP station in 1986. I was on my way out of town and out of trouble. I'd blown all my money. I didn't have any left from the fake ID stuff. And so I was starting from scratch in the United States Army. And I, and I met a lot of people at the MEP station who were doing it for the same reasons. The GI Bill, the college fund, the physical and mental challenge, just doing something different. Some people were maybe escaping a bad family life or a small town or financial hardships, whatever the case may be. Um, I remember being at the MEP station very, very well for one reason. I got to turn the time machine all the way back to the 1970s in fifth grade in music class at Crestview Elementary. We're sitting on those risers like you had in music class back in the day, and a kid in my class, this black kid named Orfeo Provost, 
thunks me on the ear with his index ring. You know how you can blink, thunk somebody on the ear. I turn around and say, Orfeo, don't do that again. Well, I turn around, thunk, he does it again. Y'all know how boys are. I turn around, I attack him, we go falling off the risers, and the music teacher, Mrs. Villarreal, who is a very big woman, comes over, I'll never forget, she grabs us by the arms and slings him into one corner physically and slings me into another corner, and then after music class makes us shake hands and apologize. Well, as I'm walking down the hallway at the MEP station, a guy in navy whites walks out and says, hey, are you waiting to come swear in? And I said that I was. He says, we've got 50 seats, there's one left. Come on in and you can do your swearing in and then you can go home. I turn the corner and go into the room and sitting in spot 49, you guessed it, Orfeo Provost. We, I sit down, we shake hands, we do a bro hug and then say at exactly the same time, do you remember when we got in that fight in music class? Well, what happens next is we take the oath of office not oath of office, excuse me, you know, the oath, you know, I will, bit, 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 uh, well, on the wall behind the guy administering the oath is this big, I don't know what you would call it, like a big banner, and it says on it, this will defend. I have to tell you, when I saw that and took the oath, for the first time, I felt elevated above my peers that I'd gone to high school with. It was already starting to be something that was intriguing me, this journey that I was on. And I remember having that conscious thought, this will defend our friends, our families, our homes, and our loved ones. And in those days, we're defending them from the Russians and communism. That, you know, I watched Red Dawn 10,000 times, like many of you did. Wolverines, this kind of thing. I really did have a lot of patriotic instincts when I first tried, tried to join the Army in, in summer of 1985. This was a bit of necessity, but that part of me was still very serious, and I, I really did believe that the Americans were the good guys in the Cold War. And so um, that's, that is how I ended up joining the Army. Now, I have to say in closing, I was overwhelmed by the numbers of listens to episode one. It just amazed me. And so it's convinced me to keep at it and not to be in a hurry for fear of losing y'all's interest. I think I'll do more episodes and keep them in a tighter time frame. However, I will beg your indulgence, especially those of you from the Cohort Battalion, who will actually be the focus of this podcast. However, I arrive at Ford Ord in August of 1986 and do some pretty awesome things before you guys arrive in January of 1987, but it is all part of the bigger story of Light Fighters. I want to share some of those memories with you from my early days of Ford Ward, and then I promise you the focus will be on y'all and us, the 4th Battalion, 21st Infantry, the tough training, the constant, constant trips to the fields, the travel, the deployments, the nights in San Jose and in the barracks, and the numerous colorful characters I'm going to meet on this epic journey with the 7th Infantry Division. 
I want to thank Sergeant Epps for all of his help and clarifications. The cohort system was well established in the United States Army by 1986, and yes, I kind of knew a four-star general is not a lieutenant general, so thank you, Sergeant Epps, for that clarification. And by the way, four-star general, General Townsend from Alpha Company is actually not the only light fighter to earn his stars. There are going to be several generals who come from 4th Battalion, 21st Infantry. We all serve with great leaders, not just those of us in Alpha Company. On the next episode, I will talk about my time at basic training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, which will begin a trend that will continue throughout my entire time in the Army, that being the experience and the people I continue to meet exceed my expectations. And that is the real reason I'm doing this podcast. All of you light fighters volunteered. You were not drafted. And you 11 Bravos volunteered to do the toughest job in the Army and one of the most difficult. And with very, very few exceptions, you all did it honorably. However, your service precedes Desert Storm in 1991 when the military was universally respected again, probably for the first time since World War II. The night I came home from Desert Storm, I thought about all of you. As I made my way through the cheering crowd and subsequently whenever we had one of our celebratory parades, I would always wear the uniform I had that had the 7th ID patch on it. Even as a reservist, I was and will always be a light fighter at heart. Even as a college graduate, my alma mater is Fort Ord, and all of you are my fraternity brothers. And you, Kay Newman, are only honorary female light fighter. You are my sister. I would love to know why all of you joined. Maybe you can put that in the comments on the social media sites. And referring to that opening ad, I can attest to the incontrovertible fact that many, many, many times we did more before 9 a.m. in the 4th Battalion, 21st Infantry, than most people do all day, all week, and for some people, more than they do in their entire lives. No matter why you joined, I'm glad we met up at Fort Ord, California and became light fighters together. Light fighters the last foot soldiers of the Cold War. So until next episode, no slack, cold steel, Bushmasters, and night fighters, boar, brother, boar.
And speaking of Atlantic Star, I'd love to know how many of you black guys had a jerry curl shaved off at basic training. Talk to you all soon.